Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's go right to the phones. And I wouldn't be surprised if this gentleman has harvested a turkey in his life or two. Nate Zelensky, good morning. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing well. Did you be a dipped your toe in the turkey hunting very often or is that one you haven't done as much you know i i used to do it a ton i still get out i would say you know as frequent as about anybody uh but boy when i was younger i lived for it you know i did the multi-state thing when i was when i was younger uh but no i do i love to get out and chase uh, chase turkeys and you know, it, it's so neat, the the population of turkeys, how it's exploding, and more so the opportunity of hunters that are taking part in it. You know, if you look at the numbers, turkey hunting, it's dang near one of the most popular things out there. Um, so, so it's neat to see so many hunters partaking, uh, you know, hunting a, an animal or a bird, that you add the vocal aspect like an elk bugling, and it just takes it to the next level. And there's so much opportunity. You know, if you look at even Colorado or Eastern Plains birds versus our mountain birds, a um, lot, a lot of cool stuff so yeah big, big fan of turkey hunting there really is now i know you want to talk about predators under the ice but we have a gentleman who's sitting on the ice at chatfield uh listening to us and he wants some advice for on the ice fishing at chatfield can we give him a couple minutes of that absolutely you know so so right now at chatfield um number one i think we should all just count our blessings it's so rare to be in the tail end of February and have great ice on the front range. Um, so number one, I just want to tell everybody I'm thankful and take advantage. You know, it's so rare for us to see pre-spawn walleyes on the ice. Um, and that's exactly what we're dealing with. So we have three or four bites. We're going to talk about three of them. So number one, trout. If you want trout, we have got a pile of fish starting to move into the North Shore boat dock. These are fish that were stocked in that North Shore boat dock, um, and they're coming back in there thinking they're going to go through a false spawn. So if you want some rainbows, we're seeing rainbows stacking up um, pretty much right in front of the west ramp at the north boat ramp. So you want some rainbows. It's easy. The ice is good. You park close. Um, there's a lot of rainbows. Bright color, little tube jigs, oranges, pinks. Um, you know, tip of the waxworm, mealworm, that bite is going. Um, we're also seeing quite a few rainbows kind of coming towards the inlet, uh, and that would be the South Platte Inlet. Biggest thing with that is use caution. Obviously, a sunny day like this, we'll get snow melt, we'll increase flow, um, and that's one of the first spots that you will start to see, you know, the ice deteriorate. So be cautious over there, but we are seeing a lot of rainbows moving over towards the South Platte Inlet, particularly the mud flat just to the west sides. If you're looking at the inlet to the right of the inlet, um, there's a lot of rainbows there. Then uh, the walleye bite is still going extremely strong. We have fish kind of everywhere. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of fish off the handicap point, but we're still seeing a ton of fish in the gravel pits in front of the swim beach. If you're fishing the low light period, early or late in the day, you want to be on structure. So you want to be on a contour change. We're sitting on the top of the contour uh, with deeper water close. So right on the edge, you know, right where it breaks from 10, 12 feet, uh, 14 feet, dropping down to 20, 30 feet. That's the kind of scenario. Midday, like right now, so if that listener's on the ice right now, there's still some fish on top of the structure, but midday, our best approach um, has been dropping off a little bit on the more of that deeper stuff. So the fish are starting to hang around mud flats. 
um, they're starting to sit on slower taper. So if you find a lesser break wall, so like Marina Point or there's a couple of them off the swim beach, if you can find a very slow taper contour, not steep, um, those slower tapers are doing much better midday. And the last midday bite for walleye, if you go out in front of Catfish Flats or Fox Run, and you fish the weeds. Um, we've got a lot of young panfish hanging in those weeds, and those walleyes are cruising the weed flats all day long. So you can set yourself up in six to ten feet of water right in the weeds, figure out how to kind of navigate around them or find a little pocket in them, an edge. Uh, but we're getting a lot of walleyes midday um, in those weeds. So those are kind of the, all the opportunities for walleye midday and, uh, you know, low light periods. And then lastly, the bass bite. That's probably the most midday bite there is. Uh, the bass start showing up around 8, 9 a.m. They, you know, they go strong until 3, 4, uh, kind of banker's hours, and that bite is great. For the bass, you know, jigs, spoons, all kinds of stuff. But old school is honestly better. If you go out there with a live minnow, you drop a fat head, put that fat head right on that deep, deep structure, uh, six inches off bottom, you're going to be reeling in bass all day. And, and that's kind of the, the current bite at Chatfield. Oh, it sounds pretty good, and that's. Uh, are you thinking how long you think we're still going to maintain ice out there? I know we don't know. The weather's going to be warmer, but not seasonally warm. And where we've got good ice, it could hold up for a while yet. I think it's going to hold up for a while. I mean, I think notoriously that southwest arm of Chatfield it holds ice forever. So I think in the coming week, you know, coming ten days, we'll probably start to see some destruction of the ice, you know, out in front of Roxborough Cove or Plum Creek. Um, you know, maybe the dam area we're getting a lot of current, stuff like that. But I think uh particularly the that southwest arm, you know, swim beach back I think we're going to be on the ice for quite a while. So uh, we'll get a little bit better update um, after this week. Obviously, we still have great ice now, but I think this coming week's going to tell a lot. So next week's show, I think we'll have a, a much better prediction of what it's going to be. Now, you want to talk about Predators spring ice. What's, what, what's going on there? You know, Terry, it's one of these things that's kind of near and dear to my heart. So I, I mean, partially because I'm just wrapping up ice addiction, our events, our sports shows, all that kind of stuff. I've been on the ice all winter, but now is really when I probably spend the most time on the ice. And when I talk to average anglers, when we look at people calling us for guide trips, so many ice anglers get so excited. They get on the ice, you know, first ice in you know, October, November, December. Um, and now that we're starting to approach March, so many ice anglers are just done. You, you hear it all the time. You ask people, you're like, ah, you know, you're still on the ice. You're like, oh, man, I'm sick of the cold. I'm ready for spring. I'm ready for the boat. I'm getting the boat out, all that kind of stuff. But if you, I mean, we, we always say early ice and late ice is the best. But if you had to break it down one further, I 100% would always take late ice over early ice. Um, so really this time of year, in my personal opinion, is probably the peak of the season for ice fishing. Um, and if I had to, I would tell people, wait, don't get on the ice early. You know, get on the ice late. Um, our big pike are moving into a pre-spawn. They're available. They're aggressive. And most importantly, they're looking for food. So our pike that I would say is a fish that is normally hard to approach, harder to catch, is extremely active. Those lake trout that you have been messing with all year that, you know, you think you need, a, you know, an act of Congress to get them to take the bait. You see them. You find them. You can't get them to take the bait. The bite's extremely light. This time of year, those fish are getting much more aggressive, so they're easier to find. When they come in, they come in hard. Um, they're chasing baits up and down the water column. Um, it's great. And then lastly, you know, for the first time in a long time, we have a pre-spawn walleye bite of aggressive fish. So between the, the bigger walleyes, the pike, and the lakers, these predators are active. They're 
I would honestly say 80 times easier to catch this time of year than any other time on the ice. Um, and really, especially for the Lakers and Pike, the upcoming six weeks um, is the, as good as it gets. So we really are springtime focused on those big predator fish um, and just encouraging anglers, hey, why we have ice, uh, even though you, it's been a long season, get out there and take advantage. Now on the pike, are you seeing that bite at both 11 Mile and Terrio? We're seeing it all. Yeah, we're seeing that actually kind of all over the place. Williams Fork, those pike are getting very active, sliding up in shallow water, you know, at the point flat. Um, 11 Mile, we're seeing a ton of fish at the inlet, seeing a ton of fish at Stoll Mountain, North Shore, Witcher's Cove. Uh, Terrio is getting a lot of pike on it. So, all those pike have moved up into shallower water. So uh, we're doing a lot of stuff around mud and or weeds. Um, we're seeing our rockfish not do quite as well on the pike. So they're leaving the rocks, leaving the steeper contour. They're really pulling up on the flats, hanging around weeds. Um, you know, I'm primarily targeting 10 foot or less. I would say that 6 to 10 is that happy zone. Um, and, again, if we want big fish, it's all about bait. So we're using water dogs, uh, using, you know, dead suckers, uh, fishing them under tip-off so you could rod and reel them. Uh, but it's big bait sitting on those weed lines, sitting on that mud flat, and we are seeing some giant fish. I mean, some of these pike, you know, they're big to begin with, right? Colorado pike are big. They're fatter than normal. But when you get these pre-spawn fish that are, you know, winter weight heavy, and then you throw spawn material in it, and, and they're world-class right now, Terry. You know, when I used to do a lot of this similar fishing in Minnesota when we got to the spring, and, of course, sometimes you couldn't, but depending on the seasons. But we used yeah. to set the tip-ups up uh, so that we would understand a lake, and we, we, at least in our minds, we felt we knew the migration path of the big fish during this time of the year. And reason we used tip-ups over rods and reels because each guy could set two tip-ups, just like in Colorado if you have a second rod stamp. And we would actually take three or four of us together so that we could put those tip-ups in a pattern to intercept those migrating fish. Does anything like that come into play on the waters you fish? A hundred percent, Terry, on all the waters we're fishing. So when we get out there, whether we're guiding, fun fishing, family, um, we usually fish maximum on our tip-ups, you know, so everybody, you know, we're not like one, one pike rod and one trout rod. We're pretty focused on the pike. So everybody has their tip-ups out, you know, everybody's running their two tip-ups. Um, and we look at the scenario. So we say, okay, if the feeding grounds are here and the, when the fish are digesting or resting, they're sitting here, when they get active and they slide in, you know, how are they approaching it? And we also try to figure out a, a rough idea of visibility and smell. You know, so if our water's super clear, uh, the pike are going to hone in on visibility far more than scent until they get close. If the water's getting dirty, like some of these fisheries do uh, in spring with some runoff, um, those fish will rely more on smell. So the separation of our tip up is going to go by clarity or smell you know if the water is super dirty we'll we'll spread our tip ups 15 20 feet apart if the water is gin clear like 11 mile is right now um you know we can separate our tip ups 30 40 50 feet um and we try to do that to where when these pike come in we essentially have them corralled we want to rake that ice so we want to make sure that we have it covered and we'll watch as they come through um and a lot of these pike are coming through in groups so young fish will be in a bunch. I mean, if you get young, those 25, 30-inch fish and smaller, you can get, you know, a dozen of them together. Um, if it's on the big fish, we're seeing groups of twos and threes, sometimes a fourth. Um, so on these big 40-inch fish, you'll get two, three of them coming in. So we set tip-ups, 
watch that migration of those fish come in. You'll watch the flags. You know, you'll sit for an hour with nothing, and then you'll get two flags right next to each other. And we kind of watch the migration of these fish. And after we get a couple flags go, um, we'll move a couple tips to kind of hone in on that path that they're swimming. Um, but, but very much so, I would say a lot of anglers set their tip-ups as a random. You know, oh, drill a hole, set it over there, and we'll kind of keep an eye on it. When we're hardcore at it, we are very much, you know, you're doing a diamond pattern, you're doing a line, an X, but we're, we're very much trying to target these fish as they're moving through and making it as easy as possible on them to take the bait. Um, they want to eat this time of year, so if you make it easy on them, present the right meal, you're going to catch them. Uh, we don't have time to do a class on using tip-ups. There's lots of information on the Internet. Tip-ups, folks, you don't have a real, at least for most of them, there are some that do, but most tip-ups, and you're, you learn how to check your depth and set your bait. But the one thing I think we have time to mention a little bit, Nate, and that's the, the experience of hand landing like a 20-pound pike when you've got the line in your hands. It's something people don't even realize, isn't it? I, I, Terry, I can't even describe it, you know, because I don't think even on a small fish, I don't think most anglers realize how much of the power of the fish is absorbed in a wrong, in a rod, especially the longer rods of today. You know, everybody's running six and a half, seven, eight foot rods, and and they literally absorb so much of that fish's power. When you start throwing it on a non-stretch Dacron, you know, 30, 40, 50 pound line um, on a tip up, it's unbelievable. When those fish throw their head and shake and you feel every ounce of that power and that weight, it, it's unbelievable. And, you know, you top it off. We always say, like, like we just talked about with Bob Hicks, you know, a turkey gobble just, you know, makes your hair stand up. When you get a bite, it's always exciting. But when you're sitting there and you watch a flag fly and you walk over there and that school spinning 100 miles an hour, it just adds a whole new element. It adds that visual. Um, I, it's just, for me, it's exciting. I think a lot of people that might have negative thoughts or ideas about tip-ups is simply because they haven't done it or had a good day with it. When you have a good day of watching flags fly and you're running over and setting the hook on a giant fish and feeling that power and that line ripping through your hand, um, it, it's second to none. And again, I, I think it's an experience that, that would shock people um, from what they think it's going to be like versus what it actually is. If you want to see some of this, folks, I do have, I did a show up at Red Lake in northern Minnesota. It's on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Now, I have a couple Red Lake shows, but the winter one, Dave Gens and I are actually landing pikes through the ice by hand up there. You can take a look at it. But there's lots of resources out on the Internet. Hi, Nate, do you have some information out somewhere on the... You know, we, on we, we have a bunch of videos. We have not released them yet, but... Uh yeah, if you just get on and, and, and search tip-up fishing, you'll find a ton of information about it. Nate, we are running out of time. Any last comments? You know, the biggest thing I like to say, get out there. The lake trout are starting to move shallow. They're active. The big pike are going uh, and the walleye. If I had to plan out a schedule for you, I'd hit walleye in the coming days. Why, that ice is good. Um, I would then probably jump to your, uh, your pike. And then I jumped to Lake Trout, and that's kind of the series of how I'd fish them. Um, and we are just pounding guide trips right now. Our events are pretty much wrapped up as we wait uh, for catch rate to come up. We'll launch our catch rate dates here soon. But in the meantime, get out on a guide trip. If you want to catch a giant lake or a big pike, big walleyes, uh, we are all hands on deck guiding right now. You can get all the information at tightlineoutdoors.com uh, or our Facebook page, Tightline Outdoors. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we're going to take you off the ice. 
And Casey Prather from Jax is going to take us on the water, open water, and fly fishing at that. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. Take It Easy by The Eagles. That song was actually written by Jackson Brown with a little help from Glenn Fry. But it's a great song. It was their introductory single back a million years ago. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from Jack's Outdoor Gear, the West Store in Loveland, is Casey Prather. Good morning, Casey. Good morning, Terry. You know, Casey, we've been talking some ice fishing here uh, over the last segment with Nate Zielinski. Uh, but there's, uh, there's, if you're a fly, well, a conventional fisherman too, but a fly fisherman in particular, there's still quite a few good open water opportunities, aren't there? Oh yeah, there's a ton of tailwaters really spread all across the state, and those those stay pretty much open because the water comes out of the bottom of the dam. It stays at forty degrees. Uh, those tailwaters provide year-round fishing, and as we get warmer. Um, we're going to see more of the rivers open up below those areas until we get some runoff, which could be substantial this year. But so what are, where are you going and how are you approaching things, some of the places you're fishing? Yeah, you know, I think some of the most common ones, um, especially for people around the Denver area, are going to be along the South Platte drainage. So Cheeseman, Deckers, 11 Mile, the Dream Stream. Um, even stretches through town are are good and easily accessible for most everyone. Um, they do tend to see a fair amount of pressure, um, especially on the weekends, but uh, the weekdays aren't quite as bad. And then if you're able to get a little bit further, um, you know, the blue through Silverthorne there, right below Dillon, um, and out by Green Mountain, um, the Arkansas River, uh, the, there's a lot of open water uh, anywhere from Salida, Wellsville, and then, of course, the tailwater there below Pueblo. Um, and then with, with me being up here in Loveland, uh, the big Thompson right below Lake Estes, and there's even a couple spots along the Pooter um, that offer some winter fishing as well, too. So right now, I don't want to take you through some of those, but right now, if you're going to one of those, how typically would you approach it? What kind of gear do you need? Yeah, uh, for the most part, you know, um, I like to carry two rods with me this type of year. Um, a nine-foot, five-weight, um, you know, set up with a 5X leader. And then, you know, depending on what size of flies I'm throwing, anything between 5 to 7X tippet. Um, I definitely do recommend um, going with fluorocarbon this time of year. Uh, the smaller flies that guys are throwing, typically the midges, um, you're just going to get more natural movement um, and a better sink rate with the fluorocarbon in the finer tippets. Uh, the other rod that I like to carry along with me, too, is a uh, 9-foot uh, 6-weight, um, and I'll run that with uh, generally a lighter um, sink tip line on there and from there i'm just running a section of generally 10 pound fluorocarbon and i'll use that as a streamer rod uh, more often than not i'm fishing nymphs and dries on that five weight but every once in a while you get to a deeper hole or um you know a nice pool where you know you can dredge some streamers and uh you know i think streamers are definitely overlooked in the winter time well i couldn't agree more let's first of all the, the the typical approach is, like you said, with small flies, 
midges typically. What what are some of the more common flies, and do you carry them at Jack's? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, a lot of your thread body midges, um, emergers. Um, you can even get into some of the mayflies and attractors. Um, some areas are seeing some blue wings. Um, we'll see them a lot more uh, coming up in the as we get into March and even early April. Um, and also, you know, uh, tractor patterns like eggs and San Juan worms, um, those can be great options. Uh, another one that, that I love to throw pretty much all the time this time of year is uh, an RS2 and all the different color varieties as well. Now, if if I'm getting just getting started, you know, I want to get I want to get into fly fishing this year, but I really don't have a lot of equipment. You know, this is a time of the year when you're typically not waiting. You can be, but you might not be. So you could actually get in pretty uh, inexpensively. What does it take for me to get a fly rod and get set up so I could get out and start early on the fly fishing season? Yeah. So, you know, a good kind of beginner combo is going to be in that 100 to 2, 250 range. Um, you know, and that's something that, you know, depending on how often you're going, um, you know, could last you a lifetime or, you know, if you really get into it, you know, you can always look at upgrading later on. Um, and in my scenario, you know, I've actually held on to some of those beginner rods from back when. And uh, I'll use those when I take other anglers out that are kind of less experienced. I do find that people tend to be um, a little overcautious using some of my higher-end combos. So it's nice to have some of those beginner rigs where, you know, they don't feel bad, you know, just going out and having fun with them. Well, another thing with most of these beginner rigs, they're not super fast. So they're actually a little more forgiving when you're learning to cast. You can load them a little easier. Uh, what kind of brands do you carry at the stores? Yeah, so we're going to have combos from Orvis, Reddington, and TFO. Um, and then we're going to carry rods alone uh, from those brands as well as St. Croix. Um, and then, of course, reels from all three of those brands as well as Lamson and Ross. And, uh, yeah, right now, uh, most all the stores, all the Jack stores, should be getting their spring orders. So um, we're putting stuff on the shelves almost every day. You know, last thing before I let you go, we mentioned a lot of tailwaters. One you mentioned was the South Platte coming through Denver. They've done a lot of work over the years on that river. And we used to think about it as mostly a carp fishery, which it still is. And then, of course, you'd get some walleyes and bass right down by Chatfield Dam. But we're starting to see on warm days in the winter, we're starting to see a fair number of trout in that's in those stretches of river through town, aren't we? Oh yeah, yeah. The trout are definitely moving in. And you know, it's just a good reason to get outside and explore some new water. All right. We gotta move on, Casey, but I know you'll be anxious to get out there. With this warm weather coming, I think we're going to see the tailwaters expanding as the weather gets warmer and opening up more stretches of river, and some of the lower elevations will open up even when there's tail even when there's uh, warmer weather. But I think uh, we could have a big runoff this year, so I'd plan on getting out early if I was them. Thank you, Casey. Thank you, Terry. Always a pleasure. 
All right, Casey Prather. He's from the Jack Store West, which is the used to be a big Kmart. It's on the on the north side of the high, of the road as you're going out of town. They have two stores in Loveland. Hey, I tell you what, let's take a time out. When we come back, uh, Chad Lachance is going to join us, and Chad is going to talk cooking fishing game. Chad, Chad always has some great recipes. My mouth's watering just thinking about it. All that and more coming up on Terry Wicks from Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, and we're going to go to Chad Lachance on the phone. Chad, that music almost had a tropical feel to it. Do you think we're headed for warmer weather? Uh, I know I'm headed for warmer weather. I'm going to Florida here in a few days. Okay. Uh, I'm ready to get out of here for a little bit. It's been cold, but it's a pretty day at the lake here today. Yeah, you're you're not the biggest fan of cold weather. You don't do a lot of ice fishing or winter tailwaters. No, sir. Um, I do just enough to keep me from going crazy, uh, and it will involve liquid water, not not typically ice. Uh, it'll be a tailwater, an open water somewhere, something like that. Uh, you know, on these warm days like this, we're blessed in Colorado, right? 300 days a year, sunshine, and you got to have it. But two days ago, it was 15 below here, and that's a little, little different story altogether. I'm, not my favorite time of year uh, as far as being here because hunting seasons are mostly closed, and and, you know, fishing is not at a, at a high point right now. So, for me, this time of year, I spend a lot of time around the kitchen. Uh, and then we also both take trips to Florida quite often. We'll have to dedicate a segment one time to just how we approach fishing down there and how much fun it can be. But today we're going to talk cooking. My notes say you want to talk about one-pan dishes utilizing fish and game. Yeah, and here's why, Terry, because here we are at the end of February looking at March, and any fish that you harvested last year uh, during the season has now passed its prime in your freezer. Fish doesn't hold as well in the freezer no matter how you package it. So it's past its prime. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, if you did some big game hunting, most people go out and shoot a deer or two, whatever. They eat the tenderloins and the back straps and all that stuff first. And now you're left with the round roasts and stuff like that in their freezer that's a little tougher for most people to deal with. Or perhaps some of your steaks and stuff weren't packaged ideally, and they're not doing, you know, great in the freezer either. So one pot, like Dutch oven-style dishes, are a great way to clean out a bunch of that stuff that's in your freezer from last year um, and, and use it in something that's really tasty for this time of year when it's freezing cold out because those are very hearty meals for the most part, and uh, and they're warm and just really, really good. And so... You know, there's a couple key things that I think are important when you're doing one one pot dishes with your fish and game. And first of all, don't use your best fish and game. You want this is the these are the dishes that you want to use the the deer that's been in there too long, or it isn't an ideal cut, or there's maybe all the pieces aren't the same size because they were scraps. So you need to cut them down. Uh, that's the first part. Is I'm using old my my oldest or least desirable stuff. And then second of all. It's all about layering in one-pot dishes, and it doesn't matter if I'm making a fish chowder or I'm making a venison stew. It's all about the layering of flavors, and and, uh, the the basic theory goes together the same with all of them. You're going to have a little bit of fat. You're going to have a little bit of stock or cream. You're going to have whatever protein and vegetables and then potentially a starch of some sort. So the basic formula is the same whether you're you know whichever direction you're going it's up to you uh, as a cook to make the flavor profile but 
a couple key things. When let's say we're talking game first, it is muy importante that everything be browned first. And even if I'm going to use a, a slow cooker like a crock pot style deal, I'll still brown everything on the stove and then in layer take each layer after I brown it and put it in the crock pot. And just keep layering stacks in the crock pot till it's full and then let it simmer down from there. Or the same thing with the Dutch oven. But what for me, it comes down to not crowding the pan. So all brown, always my fattiest things first. So let's say I'm going to make a venison chili, which is one of my favorites and it's classic for this time of year. And you can use even really gamey venison for it because I can overpower it. So maybe you have some venison that it wasn't ideal, a uh, big old rutted up buck or something. You can cook it for a long time and you can overpower it with other seasoning and it'll still be delicious. Venison holds up well with that. But for me, it's going to start with the fattiest protein first, which for my venison uh, chili is going to be chorizo. And so you're going to say, well, that's not venison. Well, it's not. But I'll use some chorizo as a flavor base. Then I'll brown it first, then take it out of the pan, and then brown my venison chunks in behind it in the fat from the chorizo. So you pick up that layering of flavor there. And then I'll take the venison out once it's thoroughly browned and my art reaction is no joke. It's what makes everything taste really good. So you can't stir it around too much. You need to put it in there and let it almost char on one side and then stir it and then let it char and then stir it and let it char. But the key is to get a nice deep dark brown color without burning it. Take it out and then I'll go in with my onions or peppers or whatever behind it. Do them in layers and just keep doing it all in layers and then I'll add it all back to the pot. And then what you'll you about this evening. At this point, you've taken the meat out and you're putting the onions in where you cooked the the venison, right? Correct. So I ran the chorizo first, then took it out. Then ran the venison in, then took it out. Then I leave all the fat still in there, and then I go in with the onions or the peppers until they're cooked down. And then from there, I can add the meat back into the in with the onions and the peppers and all that, garlic, whatever you're putting in your chili. And then I can add my my stock or beer or whatever liquid that I'm going to use to to build my chili out, but by layering everything, by browning everything in, pl- in layers, I have control of each step, and then I can put it in there and build my, my, my stuff out from there. If you do it all continuously, where you put one in and brown it, and then brown the next one on top of it, on top of it, the, the pan gets crowded, and you end up cooking rather than browning, so that's important. The same concept, uh, or similar concept, goes for the fish-based stuff, like a fish stew or a fish soup. There, I'm not going to brown the fish. So whatever fat that I might use, let's say I'm making a, a, a chowder, well, I would use you know pork fat for that typically, right? Either either bacon or pork belly or something like that, that uh, salt pork, something like that. I would brown that stuff in there first and then take it out and then put all the rest of my ingredients in. And in that case, the fish or shellfish, uh, in this case, in our case, fish, is going to go in right at the very end and then cook only long enough to come apart so that you know that it's cooked. Otherwise, the fish will cook down before your potatoes and everything are done. But it's all about controlling the temperature and the seasoning of each ingredient as you put them into a big one-pot dish. Do you have a couple go-to seasonings? I know you and I both cook a lot, and we talk about it. Um, We've eaten at each other's houses and enjoyed some really great meals. But do you have a couple maybe seasonings for either fish or game that maybe there's a, a certain season that you can buy pre-mixed or a certain spice that you just go to. Got a few of those? 
I do kind of actually. Um, one of them, and this is no no shocker to anybody, but I use a lot of Old Bay with seafood and chicken actually. But Old Bay is really good. It's got a touch of lemon in it. And one of my secrets, by the way, is I keep citric acid on hand. And citric acid is a powdered form. And a tiny little pinch of that stuff is basically like adding a tablespoon of lemon juice to something. It has a really distinct pop, and it's really good with with fish, um, soups and stews and stocks, things like that. But Old Bay has a little bit of that in it, and that's one thing I'll use very, very commonly. When it comes to a venison rub of some sort, then for me, um, Rodell makes a brisket rub that I really like. And it's it's technically for Texas brisket. That's what they say it's for. But it's very good. It's not too salty. It's it's for sure salty. Any good you know dark meat rub salty, but it's got a lot of pepper in it and a lot of paprika and chili powder and other stuff. A lot of garlic. It's really really tasty uh, as well. Um, one of the things I'll tell you to keep on hand for 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 soups and stews and chowders. I uh, will always keep, anytime I, I get shrimp, I'll always keep the shells and I'll make that into stock. Or anytime I fillet fish, I'll make that into stock and then I'll freeze that stock. And I have it available then to use for my dishes. But if you don't have that, buy seafood stock because that'll give you that, that real depth of flavor that you expect out of a chowder or a soup. Um, and you can buy canned stock just like you can for beef or chicken, and it will give you that depth of flavor because the fish isn't cooked in the in the stock for a long time, so it doesn't have quite as much flavor to it. But that can be a key thing as well. I love the fact about the stock. One of my favorite stocks is clam. I love clam juice and clam. Uh, and then I also make a stock. Uh, every now and then I'll cook Karen a lobster, and I take that lo- the whole lobster shell and I cook that down in a little bit of oil and then turn it into a stock. And, boy, the flavor it adds. You know, one of the things that restaurants, people love the food they get in restaurants. They don't realize that restaurants tend to put salt, fat, and acid, one or two or or all three of those in almost everything they cook. And you say you have the acid you put in. I like to use a little wine for my acid, and you cook the alcohol out for those of you that don't want alcohol, but wine can be used to add acid and add a tremendous amount of flavor at the same time. Absolutely, and alcohol is one of those things that I love to cook with because it's a natural flavor enhancer in the same way that citric acid is. And, um, like, I just made pork green chili the other night. I deglaze my pan every time with tequila because every time you do that, every time you deglaze the browning off, it adds that another layer. I pour that, cook the alcohol off, pour it off, and then start again with a clean pan. Keep doing that over and over again, and by the time you're done, that green pork chili is really good. By the time you browned everything down, and uh, and it's excellent wine. Uh, you know, really almost any alcohol brings an excellent flavor. I'll put a lot of times bourbon or dark beer. Another really secret ingredient to one pot dishes that are involved with venison, particularly or elk or anything like that, is coffee. Coffee adds an excellent uh, flavor, kind of a complexity, a little bit of bitterness. Uh, coffee is a fantastic ingredient to add into any soups or stews. I, I even use it in my my uh, my venison breakfast sausage when I make biscuits and gravy. I use coffee in there, and make it kind of red eye style. But coffee is an excellent sneaky ingredient in uh, in soups and stews. Karen says I cook with wine almost exclusively, and sometimes I put it in the food. 
<laughs> you guys going to say, wine's in charge of enthusiasm at your house. No, I, I keep on hand red wines and white wines for cooking in, in bulk things so I can pour it. I, I know they say, oh, you should never cook with wine you wouldn't drink. I buy big jugs of it because I go through a lot of it, and uh, and I use it specifically for cooking so I'm not drinking you know, or, or pouring high-end wine in my food, and I, I get that. But, hey, these days everybody's on a budget, so I'll buy one of the big uh, a big Magnum bottle of red wine, uh, like Cabernet, works great for for uh, you know deglazing and using in venison dishes, things like that. I like white wines, uh, obviously for my fish dishes, Riesling Chardonnays, depending on what I'm what I'm exactly doing with it. And one of my favorite dishes of all time is a is a fish chowder. I love 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 fish chowder. You mentioned uh, clam. I use clam. You can buy jarred clam sauce uh, or clam juice, I should say, and I use that. As a, to bolster flavors in my fish chowder because otherwise it doesn't have that real punchy seafood flavor unless you have clams from old school clam chowder. And I don't catch a lot of clams in Colorado. No, you don't. Chad, we are out of time. I hope you have a wonderful trip down in Florida. I wish I was going with, although Karen and I just did get back from California, so I'm not too jealous. But we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, and I expect an update. All right. Thanks very much, Terry. And you guys stay warm and have a great day. All right, you bet. Chad LaChance. I'll tell you what, some of his cooking tips, folks, are just great. He takes it so seriously and works so hard at it. Uh, he's given tips that have enhanced my cooking. You know, one of the things he talked about the wine, <clears throat> I keep some box wine on hand to deglaze a lot of times. And a lot of times I pour something out of a bottle. But box wine, there's some really good box wines that are great to cook with. And you always, they keep forever because the bag keeps the wine from getting oxygenated. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are wrapping things up. A couple things I want to mention real quick. Big game draws coming up real quick. Um, make sure you... Get into it early. Do your research. Don't wait till the last minute and have the computer crash or something. And there are so many resources on Colorado Parks and Wildlife website to help you. Plus, there's the call centers. Start planning now. Successful hunts very seldom happen the day you're in the field. They happen by getting set up ahead of time, planning, and then doing scouting, which we'll talk about all these things during the next few months. But it's coming up, so start doing your planning. Don't get caught late. All right? Weather and changing conditions. We're going to see warmer weather, higher sun. The apex of the sun is going to be higher, and we're going to see more solar warming. Even though it may, the air may feel cold at times, it's starting to affect things. There's going to be some great ice fishing, but be extremely cautious because those conditions could change. Some of the best fishing will be now. But some parts of the ice could deteriorate because of runoff coming into the water and the solar effect. So be extremely cautious, but there is some great fishing. Fly fishing and tailwater fishing should just be taking off right now. Uh, we're going to get warmer. More of the rivers are going to open up. And we're going to get it just better and better fishing until we get to the point where runoff starts. Now, we don't know if runoff's going to come slow and low and last all through summer or if we're going to get flooding. Just once the runoff starts this year with the amount of snow we've got, it could make some drastic effects. So plan accordingly. Another thing, I want to mention my music, uh, social media a little bit. You know, we talk about Wickstrom and Doberth here. We uh, 
on my social media music, I'm starting to do a few tips on conditioning and repairing and setting up guitars. I just put a little blurb on both Instagram, on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook under Wickstrom and Dobrith about putting some fret conditioner on an acoustic guitar and how much it can preserve the wood and change the look of it. So you want to take a look at that and please search Wickstrom and Dobrith on your favorite streaming service and give us a listen. And also follow Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on social media. Uh, we cover so much of what goes on in this show, plus we give up-to-date reports from in the field. Now, is Mr. Dan Jacobs here? I am here, and I loved last segment when you were doing the food chat, talking about how to flavor up, flavorize your clam chowder. That was good stuff there. Well, that, that brings me to a point that I had a bone to pick with you. Oh, no. Last week after you took over and I was gone, I heard you mention on the show that you thought you were the only foodie on the on this station. And I thought, well, wait a minute. You even comment on my meals that Karen posts on her Facebook constantly. I'm cooking fancy meals and stuff. And you, you consider yourself the only foodie? Now, I think you're a great foodie, but I don't I deserve a little bit of inclusion well, there? Well, I think the key term is a little bit. Yeah, I mean, every time I see oh, your stuff on oh. Facebook or the Terry Wickstrom page or Karen posts something, it looks phenomenal. It looks phenomenal. But, uh, you know, when we, when we want taste, you know, if we want advice for fine wines and things like that, I'd go to you or how to cook maybe some seafood, go to you. But for, for the real deal... Like barbecue and stuff like that, you know I'm the only you know, I'm pretty much the only game in town. No, you do do a great yeah, job. Yeah. You, you you do barbecue. I do steaks, I, I do, do grilling. Lobster. I do yeah. yeah. All right. Well we'll just agree that maybe we both have an interest there. Yeah, okay. Absolutely, sir. The, the coaching staff of the Broncos. You got any gut feelings on how it's coming together? You know what? That's one of the segments we're gonna talk about today. You shut your mouth when you're talking about Sean Payton. He knows what he's doing. Get off his back, Eric Goodman. We'll have fun with that coming up later. Well, I got a feeling that, uh, well, you know what? If VJ works out, then I'll say he's done an okay job because, you know, Peyton is going to run the offense, really, and he hired some decent special teams guys. We'll see, but I, I'm going to be I'm going to be very cautiously optimistic, but uh, not excited about VJ. We'll see. Hey, I'll wrap this thing up and let you... Uh, talk sports here. How's thanks, that? Coach. Yeah, we'll talk food, too. Thanks, Coach. All right. So, I want to say thanks to Dante for keeping us on the air. Thanks to Karen for putting the show together so I look like I know what I'm doing. And thanks to all of you for listening every Saturday from 9 to 11 to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in Dan Jacobson Sports. Such a place, such a